Greetings and welcome to SimilarWeb Q2 Fiscal 2022 Earnings Conference Call. At this time, all participants are in a listen-only mode. A question and answer session will follow the formal presentation. If anyone should require operator assistance during the conference, please press star zero on your telephone keypad. As a reminder, this conference is being recorded. I would now like to turn the conference over to your host, Mr. R.J. Jones, Vice President, Investor Relations. Please go ahead, sir. Thank you, Operator. Welcome, everyone, to our second quarter 2022 earnings conference call. During this call, we will make forward-looking statements related to our business. These statements may include the expected performance of our business and our future financial results, our strategy, the potential impact of the COVID-19 pandemic and its associated global economic uncertainty, our anticipated long-term growth, and overall future prospects. These statements are subject to known and unknown risks, uncertainties, and assumptions that could cause actual results to differ materially from those projected or implied during the call. Again, actual results and the timing of certain events may differ materially from the projected results or the timing predicted or implied by such forward-looking statements. Further, reported results should not be considered as an indication of future performance. Please review our Form 20F filed with the SEC on March 25, 2022, in particular the section entitled Risk Factors Therein, for a discussion of the factors that could cause our actual results to differ from the forward-looking statements. Also note that the forward-looking statements made on this call are based on available information as of today's date, August 10, 2022. We undertake no obligation to update any forward-looking statements we make today, except as required by law. As a reminder, certain financial measures we use in presentation of results and on our call today are expressed on a non-GAAP basis. In particular, we reference non-GAAP operating loss, which represents GAAP operating loss less share-based compensation, adjustments and payments related to business combinations, amortization of intangible assets, and certain other non-recurring items. We use this and other non-GAAP financial measures internally to facilitate analysis of our financial and business trends and for internal planning and forecasting purposes. We believe these non-GAAP financial measures, when taken collectively, may be helpful to investors because they provide consistency and comparability with past financial performance by excluding certain items that may not be indicative of our business, results of operations, or outlook. However, non-GAAP financial measures have limitations as an analytical tool and are presented for supplemental informational purposes only. They should not be considered in isolation from or as a substitute for financial information prepared in accordance with GAAP. A reconciliation between these GAAP and non-GAAP financial measures is included in our earnings release, which can be found on our investor relations website at ir.similarweb.com. Today, we will begin with brief prepared remarks from our CEO, or offer, and CFO, Jason Schwartz. Then we will open up the call to questions from sell-side analysts in attendance. Please note that we published a detailed discussion of our second quarter 2022 results in a letter to shareholders for investors to reference, as well as an updated investor presentation with a strategic overview of the business, both of which are available on our investor relations website. With that, I will turn the call over to Orr Offer, CEO of SimilarWeb. Thank you, Aljay, 
and also thank you to everyone joining the call today. We post an excellent result in our second quarter as we focused on more efficient growth for our company. Revenue grew 46% over Q2 last year to $47.6 million in the second quarter. The expansion of our global customer base consisting of SMB, enterprise, and strategic accounts remaining strong. Our customer base grew 25% year-over-year to over 3,800, and our average account spent about $51,000 with us annually, up 16% in just a year since our IPO. Furthermore, over 53% of our annual recurring revenue come from customers who spend more than $100,000 per year with us. Today, 36% of our relationships consistent of multi-year contracts, a metric that has continued to expand year over year since 2020. As the global microeconomic environment has become more uncertain, similar web offering and solutions have become even more important to our customers. The visibility into the digital ecosystem and how it's behave and change is critical information to, in those times that help our customer make the right strategic decision to navigate through economic stormy weather and be successful. As a reminder, we collect extensive online data, then we refine it and package it into solution of actionable insight for our customer which enable them to make better decisions in their competitive market. The solution we build on top of our data impact the revenue-driven teams of our customers, including sales, marketing, analytics, and e-commerce, and are designed to help a wide range of users from the C-suite to the operational teams. Every quarter, we seek to innovate and improve upon our solution and add to our underlying data. Our customers look forward to our regular feature additions. This quarter, we took a major step forward that enabled us to provide more value to our customer. First, we acquired Rank Ranger, which immediately enhanced our SEO capabilities with the com- complementary technology and data. This acquisition represents a great example of our M&A as a strategy, which we aspire to continue. Second, we launch our app intelligent product that incorporates data from our uh, Data AI, formerly AppAny, partnership, which gives our customer an expanded view of activity across the digital world. The initial customer responses are positive, and we plan to add more features over time. Lastly, we are in the middle of exciting build cycle for our investor intelligence solution, which will, which will deliver timely insights for a new experience to our investor customers. We anticipate we will bring in the new experience to market in the back half of the year. Again, our customers greatly appreciate the value we deliver, especially in times of uncertainty. We are adopting to the microeconomic environment with our customer. As we continue to innovate and grow, we are also focusing more on operational efficiency that will lead us to becoming profitable. We are only just beginning to unlock our potential within a multi-billion dollar market opportunity. 
Jason, I will turn the call over to you. Thank you, War, and thank you to everyone joining us on the call today to discuss our second quarter results. I will briefly address our financial performance, and then we will open up the call to questions. Our results in the second quarter continue to show our commitment to disciplined execution. Revenue reached $47.6 million for the quarter and exceeded our outlook of $45.9 million on the high end of our range. Importantly, our overall dollar-based net retention rate, or NRR, increased to 115% as compared to 106% in the second quarter of 2021, and for our $100,000 ARR customer segment, NRR increased to 127% as compared to 118% in Q2 last year. Our remaining performance obligations, or RPOs, increased 53% year-over-year to $160 million, 87% of which will be realized over the next 12 months. As we exceeded our plans in revenue, we also exceeded expectations on our bottom line. Our non-GAAP operating loss was $19.8 million, which was less than the $23 million loss on the low end of our guidance range. The two factors driving this result were sales above expectations and operating efficiency across the business. As a reminder, this result includes non-comparable expense impacts from our acquisitions as compared to the prior year. Turning now to Q3 2022, we expect total revenue in the range of $48.8 million to $49.2 million. For the full year, we continue to expect total revenue in the range of $196 million to $197 million, representing 43% growth year over year at the midpoint of the range. Non-GAAP operating loss for the third quarter is expected to be in the range of $20.9 million to $21.5 million, and for the full year, between $80 million and $81 million. Compared to last year, our outlook includes impacts to cost of goods sold relating to our data AI partnership and to the acquisition of MV Mobile. We anticipate non-GAAP gross margin will be approximately 74 to 75 percent in Q3 2022 and between 75 to 76 percent for full year 2022 as a result of these impacts. Our second quarter 2022 results indicate we are running our business very efficiently during a time of increasing challenges globally. The decisions we are making reflect our focus on maintaining strategic flexibility and balance sheet resilience and pursuing profitable growth. With that, Orr and I are happy to take your questions. Thank you very much. At this time, we will be conducting a question and answer session. If you would like to ask a question, please press star and one on your telephone keypad. A confirmation tone will indicate your line is in the question queue. You may press star 2 if you would like to remove your question from the queue. For participants using speaker equipment, it may be necessary to pick up your handset before pressing the star keys. 
One moment, please, while we poll for questions. Our first question comes from the line of Wayne Mac Williams with Barclays. Please go ahead. Thanks for taking the question, um, guys. Just as we enter, you know, a more difficult macro environment, um, I appreciate you calling out and prepared remarks that you're starting to see maybe a little more softness from customers in the EU um, and maybe those that are more focused in the SMB as well. Um, can you just highlight some of the things you're seeing on the ground and? You know how that maybe impact your strategy you know over the next six to twelve months hey it's uh, all speaking. Thank you for the question so uh I think it's uh we do see you know a softness um in the market. I think it's uh, you feel it more as uh, just a little bit harder to do business just the the life cycle of closing a deal. Take longer, and I think there's like a lot of hectics when the customers, as um, people switch jobs, all day and uh, allocating the budget and etc. So we think this slowness, I think a lot in Europe, but also in other regions. Yeah, it's similar to what we're seeing with um, basically across the software universe. That makes sense. And for Jason, you know, just for on free cash flow in the quarter. Can you provide some puts and takes there? Um, any changes that are worth calling out? And then how can we think about the path forward from here for the rest of this year, um, just on the free cash flow line? Thanks. Yeah, sure, Ryan. So I think that, um, you know, you see that that same kind of disciplined execution. We, we've given some guidance on uh, that we think that the free cash flow, the normalized free cash flow, um, well, it should not exceed $50 million for the year. And so, um, you know, we're here at the halfway point. I think we've been managing that. Well, I, I, just as a reminder, you know, from a, from a cash flow perspective, a significant amount of our renewals happen in Q4 and Q1. And so a lot of that cash flow comes in in uh, the end of Q4, beginning of, uh, in the, Q1 to April of the year. So we're getting into the trough from a billing standpoint of, of the seasonal weaker part of our cash flow cycle. And so what we always do is look at it on a, on a rolling 12-month basis. The one other thing to call out is that you saw in, in the release is that um, we, did have, we did move into our new headquarters here in Israel. Uh, so we had, um, you know, Cash capital expenditures that related to that to the build out in the new uh, the new headquarters here that we had talked about a few quarters ago, and you see that coming through on the cash flow line uh, this quarter. We break that out and and you know show you both a total free cash flow and a normalized free cash flow in the release. Appreciate the color. Let's go. Thanks, man. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Jason Halstein with Oppenheimer. Please go ahead. Um, hey, thanks, guys. Um, just want to ask um, one just about how you're thinking about gross margins into next year. So 
there's obviously been investments that have depressed the gross margin um, first half of this year. Um, do you feel like next year with what you have in kind of the product pipeline, we should be able to see meaningful growth in the gross margins? I mean, I don't know if it will get back to, you know, 70, 79, but something, you know, you know, call it, you know, more like high 70s, um, you know, more something like we saw in, in 22, uh, 2020, 2021. And then separately, how you're thinking about sales and marketing, you know, investment um, to the extent that the world is a little bit slower and if you let more, you know, flow to the bottom line. Thank you. Okay, so thank you, Justin. Good to hear from you. Um, <clears throat> so let's talk about the gross margin. So the, the short answer is yes. We are um, hoping to improve the, the numbers. Not think that we're going to get to the 80s, with like the long-term model, but definitely uh, improving. Most of the the calls are coming from the the operation on data acquisition. This is the biggest chunk around our data uh, about our cost there. And I think uh, looking into the future, I think uh, it's definitely not going to increase. So we are in a very good place and currently. So the answer is yes, and probably would increase nicely. Regarding SMM, um, again, we, we make um, a lot of decisions to be more efficient. You know, it's very important in this time. So we are optimizing and hopefully have also good improvement around uh, the spend and sales and marketing going forward. Jason, uh, our Jason, do you have anything to add on that? Yeah, I agree with you, or on that, and I, I think that one of the things is you already start seeing that efficiency flow through <laughs> this quarter. Um, you know, we have a 200 basis point improvement on the sales and marketing line, and a lot of that uh, revenue growth, you know, fell to the to the bottom line in this quarter. We're, we're making decisions actively to be more efficient. It's it's part of the the strategy, and I think uh, you're starting to see that come through in the numbers already in Q2. Jason, do you have any more questions? Our next question comes from the line of Brent Athel with Jeffries. Please go ahead. Hi, this is uh, John Bion from Brent Athel. Thanks for taking the question. Um, so looking through the guidance for the rest of the year, it looks like Q4 implies similar growth to Q3. So wondering how you, you're thinking about, you know, how much macro is embedded, uh, and, and also how the wonder how the, the trends are going so far in the quarter in July, August, whether it's notable change from let's say June. And then second part of questions, want to, to ask about just in terms of the broader operational efficiency. You know how you're thinking about the cost structure, uh, rest of the year and into next year, and you know any change in headcount plans and so on. Thank you. Hey John, thanks for the question. So um, uh, on a First, we'll talk about the growth trend, and then and then uh, talk about you know, how we think about the operating efficiency. Um, so, as Orr mentioned, you know we we're not immune to the macroeconomic trends that 
that we see happening where, you know, we talk about uh, deal deal cycles that are getting done. They're just, you know, taking longer or t- or requiring additional levels of reviews within within the organizations. And that's stuff that we take into account as we prepare our guidance. Um, you, you've heard me say it before that we like to give guidance that we know we can meet. And so that is that those assumptions that we have are are baked into the into the guidance. And from an efficiency standpoint, you know, like like I said, we are proactively making decisions to to balance that growth and, and cash flow and to be to be more efficient. And you see that coming through on the on the lines already. Um, and we do, as we mentioned in the in the shareholder letter that uh, that we released last night, um, this is something that that we are focused on um, to be, to work digi- diligently as we have with that kind of disciplined execution and focus on our, our unit economics to drive those operational efficiencies to get to sustained cash flow. So um, so that that is baked into our assumptions as we start thinking about planning and guiding for 2023. Thank you. I would add uh, on top of that that we we did uh, you know looking into our headcount plan for 2023. You know that um, Q3 and Q4 now is the time that we have start you know hiring and planning to hiring the people for uh, for next year for 2023. And of course we're taking into account because of the decision uh, we made to be more efficient it will probably impact the future uh, hiring plan. Thank you for the call. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Tyler Alaska with City. Please go ahead. Good morning. I was wondering if you could talk about your performance in other geographies relative to plan. Uh, we've, we've heard mostly from companies that they're seeing some issues in, in Europe, but just wondering if you're assuming that those conditions uh, that you saw in, in Europe spread to the rest of the geographies and, you know, kind of what you're baking in uh, from a geo perspective for the rest of the year. Thank you. Um, so it's an interesting question. We did that also internal look around that. Interesting enough, we have some region that said good quarter, like our Japan operation was doing doing well. And uh, U.S. also, I think, was doing very well. It represents now almost 55% of our revenue. Um, uh, and I think it was up. So it was 50% to U.S., and it was up 55%. So U.S. was good performing. Europe was interesting um, dynamic. For example, we have a very um, good uh, scaling operation in Germany. And, but UK and France, well, we were more struggling. I'm trying to think if any more information out there, Jason, maybe you have anything wrong? No. So I think this is a good overview about the global impact. Yeah, and, and sorry, Jason, um, maybe just what you're assuming on, on the guidance, uh, you know, from a, uh, a geographic perspective, if you're if you're assuming things get, get worse and faster, kind of stay the same. So we've taken some assumptions over there, 
based on regions and, and some of the things that we've seen in the pipeline already. Um, you know, even in in Europe, we've got still a, a good solid pipeline that's uh, that's there. And so we look at all of those factors as we put together our guidance. You know, so uh, there's some things that will be we we assume will be similar. Some things that we'll assume, you know. Who knows? And uh, we want to make sure that we're always giving guidance that we can meet. Great. And and from a hiring perspective, could you just give us a sense what what are the the areas that you're maybe slowing down or, or pulling back on the most? Is it is it primarily kind of marketing related, or is it is it you know on the on the direct sales side? Just give us a sense where you're. Spending less on um, from a headcount perspective. Thank you. Um, hi. Um, so let me uh, try to think about um, how. So I think on the marketing side, we did a lot of changes lately. I think uh, and we were had to optimize our marketing organization as, as it was a little bit bigger than what we were planning, and uh, so we we did probably reduce headcount there in the marketing organization, maybe a little bit around client services, and maybe a little bit about in R&D areas. I think those are the, the major. And, and also on, on HR, you know, in, the, in recruiting, when, uh, if, when you have planned to recruit X amount of people and X amount of recruiter, now when you're doing an adoption to your hiring plan, so you can need, you need less workforce to execute on that. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Arjun Bhatia with William Blair. Please go ahead. Perfect. Um, thank you guys for taking the question. Um, I, I think you mentioned a couple times um, in your prepared remarks and in the shareholder letter that, you know, demand could increase in uncertain times. Certainly makes sense as customers, you know, I think rely on data to drive their business a little bit more. Could you just maybe dig a little bit deeper into how that's um, actually coming through? Is that, um, are there certain products that you expect will benefit more than others in a more uncertain environment within your portfolio? Do you think it's going to be more concentrated in new customers versus um, existing customers. Uh, I'm just curious how you're thinking that might play out. Yeah, of course. So we see this, we see, we see in the past a similar phenomenon when COVID hit, when the, the world was going on in distress and many sectors were struggling. And the travel was a great example when we thought back then we're going to lose all of them, they all came back and bought more in order to adapt our strategy. So we do think that we're going to get into a similar motion now as the market gets more hectic. One one area we do see now that there is a little bit increase in demand, for example, is in the investor vertical, when we're seeing that a lot of uh, public investors now try to realize um, when is the right time to market to bounce back. So the more signals they can get and about when things start to look better, they can start planning when to start investing again. So 
and, and similar web is, is the best data source or give you those indications about you know, digital world performance. So we start seeing them having more interest to get more data, more services from us. And I think those are the first vertical that start thinking about you now let's use the situation. So we're probably gonna see more of those verticals uh, and start getting more demand for market for digital market data. Got it. Um, that's that's very helpful. Um, and then maybe one for Jason. Um, just it seems you know your net retention rate is obviously um, doing very well uh, in, in in this environment. Can you just uh, give us a sense for how you expect that might play out um, for for the remainder of the year as you know the the macro backdrop gets a um, a little bit more challenging? And, and I'm wondering if you have any more granularity um, in that metric that you can share with us in terms of, you know, which which customers are uh, expanding and, and how the gross retention might be changing, if at all. So, uh, Arjun, it's, it's, uh, it's great to hear from you. The, the uh, gross retention numbers are actually, for the most part, pretty stable. Um, the the um the thing i think that we look at um is is really the rate of of expansion and the buying power that a lot of customers have you know one of the one of the things that gives us some confidence in our in our numbers um and the durability of our ARR is that already 36% of the ARR is on you know signed up for multiple years and so those are Things, even though we report, a, you know, and think of our business as a annual recurring revenue business, but having already 36% of that signed up on multi-year deals means that that's all re- that's revenue that is not up for uh, renewal, if you will, during that period of time, and so that gives us that confidence over there. We're seeing in in a number of the large customers that. You know the the things that they need or expand getting more detail as or mentioned being able to to get that intelligence in different regions so people are expanding within products to to additional regions um, and also where they need some of the uh, deeper product information like shopper where we saw shopper intelligence you know pick up this quarter um, I think that's something that that we're starting to, that we're starting to see and uh, more and more customers are actually integrating our solutions into into their stuff, and we're seeing uh, some great movement on on our OEM strategy as as more and more customers are are integrating similar web into their products. So those kinds of things, to the extent that they continue during this, you know, these kind of macroeconomic trends, we think are going to be upsides to the number and and things that we continue to watch for. Awesome. That's very helpful. Um, thanks. Thanks again, guys, and a uh, nice job. Thanks so much. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Noah Herman with J.P. Morgan. Please go ahead. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my questions, and, and congrats on a solid quarter. Um, can, can you provide us any color on maybe customer usage on the platform, and wh- what are your expectations for pricing going forward? Thanks. 
pricing on the platform? Can you can you repeat the question? Yeah, just uh, any uh, any change in in, in maybe uh, pricing or you know, maybe if you can touch on any maybe pricing power you have um, for the platform itself. And the pricing and packaging, I think, is an area that we are still not optimized as well as they want uh, us to be. Um, and I think that the more our solution is in getting more deep and more holistic, we're able to better um, introducing a, a, a better pricing and packaging to our customer to to have a win-win uh, scenario. This is we have a strong belief about putting win-win that the more our customer gets more ROI from the platform, then we can um, able to increase the price. So we we are thriving into an area when each one of the lines of business we have five of them we will have a very strong meter approach on top of that to have a good better best to each one of them and and a, um, an arsenal of, of add-on and plugin you can add on top of that so we are not in a perfect place but we always are optimizing and we. Just by a director of pricing and packaging, so um, I really hope that there's a lot of leverage to get a more efficient though. I hope it answers the question. Got it. Thank you. And, and just maybe you know any color on what you're seeing in terms of usage uh, from customers, maybe over the past few months, and, and what you've been seeing um, heading into the, the the most recent quarter as well. So usage is going up um, always, and we are putting a lot of um, effort in our product team to work on discoverability and easy to use of the platform. So uh, we have ongoing teams that are always working to improve usage, uh, and not only the day-to-day -day usage, but also to help customers to, to discover more and more features. We have a very, very deep platform with many functionalities. So. So it's something that we are working on, and we, we're having great success. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Our next question comes from the line of Brett Noblock with Cantor Fitzgerald. Please go ahead. Hi, Orrin Jason. Thanks for, for taking my question. Um, I was just wondering if you could provide some incremental color on the demand you're seeing for your app intelligence product. Is that exceeding your expectations? And then similarly, a, a update on uh, maybe adoption of your shopper intelligence product as well as that has much higher ACVs. Um, you know, how is the sales force thinking about selling those two? Are they prioritizing either of them? Or are they still landing with your your core digital research and digital marketing products? <clears throat> yeah. Um, so first of all, thank you for the question. Um, so regarding the, the app intelligent module, so the first in, in, initiative were great. So we have uh, hundreds of requests from, from many, many customers to see them or getting more, uh, and more information about this new offering. Um, and, I, and, and it was a very good indication. And also, we already closed uh, numbers of deals, so it's a good momentum. 
but also as the market dynamic becoming tougher, you're seeing that it's taking just longer to close this pipeline. So as part of the market dynamic, we also seeing it there. So the first initiative are great, and um, we're excited about about this offering going forward. Regarding Shopper, uh, Shopper Intelligence, so in, in, indeed it, it was introduced to the market with very high ACV, and mostly because we, we launched the product and we didn't put a lot of ways to have good, better, best offering there. So we sell it, uh, it as much as you can for one big price. It was, it was having good momentum in the beginning, but down the road it was tougher uh, to continue because every industry or sector won different part of the platform and it was out to charge them full price. So um, few, I think um, a few months ago we changed and, and the ability for us to also slice and dice the shopper offering and introduce good, better, best offering. And this enabled us to scale the logo acquisition for Shopper this quarter. That was very good compared to the quarter before that. And regarding the core product, they're doing, uh, doing well as, as always. Thank you for that. Um, and then maybe just on your, your full-year revenue guide, um, it kind of implies, you know, a 13.5% sequential growth between uh, 3Q and 4Q. And you look at, you know, last year you grew, call it, you know, twelve and a half percent or so. You know, in that time frame, backdrop is obviously much more difficult in this macro environment. So, can you just help us understand what gives you confidence that you're going to see the kind of acceleration in four Q? Um, you know, faster than what maybe what you saw last year, given the relatively more uncertain macro environment. Yeah. So, <laughs> we we look at the backlog and the, and the deals that we've got in place and as well as, um, you know, just the the pipeline that, that we're looking at and the discussions we're having, we put all that together and that helps us, you know, form our our guidance and uh, and confidence that we have to, to put that together. You know, our, our goal is to, you know, always aim to give guide, you know, guidance that uh, we know we can meet. And uh, we continue to do that um, through these times as well. Perfect, understood. Thanks very much. Thanks, guys. Operator, any other questions? Yes, sir. There is one question. Our next question comes from the line of Pat Lalavivins with JMP Securities. Please go ahead. Oh, great. Thank you. And let me add my congratulations on the um, the continued growth. Um, all right, Jason, let's talk about uh, cash. So you have $94 million on the balance sheet. You burned 19 on a normalized basis. I get the collections will be better in the back half of the year. But even so, the, the operating losses you're guiding to are, you know, still the $20 million per quarter. So the bear case, which I just think we should we should address it, is that you have five quarters of cash, right? I, I know that's not the case, but let's address it. And you haven't guided yet for next year. So w- what can you tell us? Um, where are you comfortable having that cash balance bottom? When do you expect to be free cash flow positive? 
when do you think you'll make these decisions? Great. That, thanks so much for the question. You know, so you're right. We ended the ended the quarter with, um, you know, just under $94 million of, of cash on the balance sheet. But I remind you, we also have a $75 million uh, undrawn credit facility. And so we view ourselves as having, you know, over, uh, you know, $160 million of, of liquidity and feel very comfortable with the uh, – with the cash and the liquidity resources that we have available for us in order to execute on our plan. That, that being said, one of the things that, that we continue to do is focus on that same disciplined execution that we've done, you know, throughout our, throughout our, uh, our history. You know, I, I like to always go back to where we were pre-IPO. Um, <clears throat> Pre-IPO, we took this company from being a minus $26 million uh, cash-burning company in 2018 to uh, following year cutting that burn by more than a half, by more than 50% to $11.5 million, and then the following year to less than $5 million that in Q1, the Q1 2021, right before going uh, becoming public, we turned into a cash-generating, cash positive free cash flow company. And then what we did uh, as part of our execution was to accelerate that growth, use the proceeds of the IPO to, to drive that growth um, on very favorable unit economics and deliver the kind of growth and outstanding results in terms of net, net customer ads, in terms of ARPU per customer, revenue per customer, and, of course, the, the net retention numbers driving to an over 50% revenue growth. What we're doing now is continuing to balance growth and cash flow, um, and we're making those decisions proactively in order to be more efficient. You're already starting to see that come through this quarter um, in terms of the uh, in terms of the margin improvement all across the the P and L, and we think that that you know those are the indications that you that. Hopefully, the the investment community will be following to show to see that operating efficiency um, come through. And as we've guided, uh, this is something that we've been focused on to get to that sustainable uh, free cash flow. Um, already talking about that earlier this year when we started our guiding our 2022 numbers, and that we continue to be focused on that as we plan for 2023 and beyond. Great. Thanks for that perspective, Jason. Thanks. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, this concludes the question and answer session. On behalf of SimilarWeb, that concludes this conference. You may disconnect your lines at this time. Thank you for your participation.